first slide we've got here, and we might just start with the verse, I think, that comes with it. Um, you know, really, the we're going to look at just kind of two two things I feel like God's been teaching me, and then we're, the third thing we're going to do is just break bread together, and I think they overflow into communion here, but... Um, one of the things that I think God's been teaching me in and just growing me in is just uh, more and more, it's an ongoing thing, I think, but it's growing in my identity, my true identity, in, in what God has done for me, what Christ has done for me versus what, what I do and what I try to find my identity in. And uh, let's see, I'm getting a little, this is sounding like I'm in a, hearing some feedback here. I, don't, I can back up if I need to, but there we go. Um, but you know, uh, this... Uh, the past couple months, Greg and I have been a part of a group of pastors that are studying some things together. And uh, one of the things that we were encouraged to look at is a series of, of videos on um, gospel community. And in one of those, there's a guy talking about the gospel and just how we need to encourage one another with the truth of the gospel. We need to have them soak in. And, and sometimes when we don't, we can look to other things to... Um, you know, to kind of do what the gospel and what Christ are, are wanting to do for us. And he, he went back to this passage in Genesis 3. And I'm just going to read this and, and throw out some things here for you to think about. But, um, you know, you, you know the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. And we'll just start in Genesis 3, 6. And I'm just going to read a couple verses. But it says, when the, woman, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You know, and then it goes on to kind of finish that passage. It talks about then the Lord God made garments of skin um, for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Uh, I think that King James says he made coats of skin. And, you know, so there's this whole idea that before the fall, before sin entered, there was this relationship with God. But afterwards, there was this sense of, of sin and inadequacy and shame. And so they sewed fig leaves and tried to cover themselves to remove that sense of guilt or inadequacy or shame. And, and really, in, in some ways, you know, the story goes on to say that after God addressed their sin, he provided a covering for them. And it talks about he made these coats of skin. And, you know, it's easy to just read past that. But most Bible scholars would say that really what seems to have happened there in, in him providing these coats of skin is that it was the first animal sacrifice that occurred, that God had an animal killed so that he could cover them with the clothing from and it's most likely many would say that it was probably sheep that were killed and, and they were used to cover them. And that was the first time God provided that. And it was a foreshadowing of the gospel and how Jesus would come to cover and provide covering for our sin and our shame. And, um, but, you know, there's this idea that it probably ever since then, man ha- and man and woman have been trying to cover themselves with their own 
their own doings, their own fig leaves, if you will. And I remember hearing this, and the guy was just giving different samples of what fig leaves are like. And I just throw out a few of them, because what we're going to do is take some time to examine ourselves. We all know we're supposed to be covered in the righteousness of Christ and what He's done. And it's not about what we do, but so often I, I can find myself trying to uh, have my own fig leaves to, to uh, cover for my inadequacies and my sin and try to find significance in them. And some of those fig leaves can be things like, uh, you know, they can be things like uh, our uh, busyness. You know, we're always busy and it's, we seem important because we're always so busy at work. And I, you know, worked 100 hours of overtime last week and I, I must be working pretty hard. I must be significant. So we can find, uh, sometimes we can have... Uh, spiritual fig leaves like oh boy I've been memorizing the Bible I've memorized 1,000 verses now and you know it's pretty cool looking fig leaves here you want to give me a little feedback about the fig leaves and sometimes we can have political fig leaves where we just talk and love to vent about the politics and things like that but really it's just this thing that keeps people away from finding out how we are really doing, how we're doing, regardless of how Hillary and Trump are doing out there. Um, there, There's things that are designed to kind of keep people at a distance. They seem like they're real, but they can be appearances sometimes. I'm struck by how sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll see them start putting fig leaves on and kind of like, why are you doing that? When we were on this trip to the fair, I saw a friend I hadn't seen in a number of years and just started talking to him and just within seconds of starting to talk. He started telling me, yeah, you know, I've got this commute. I drive in an hour to work each way, but, you know, my pastor suggested that I start memorizing the verses and listening to teachers. So I've got hours every week memorizing and listening to teachings, and it just kind of came across like he was trying to put on a show, you know, like, uh, how do you, what do you think about that? And the funny thing was another guy came up, a friend of his, and uh, he started saying, well, yeah, you know, he commutes to my town, and sometimes when he gets off work, well, he actually bought a, a PS3 so that we can play a Call of Duty together a lot after work. And I was kind of like, well, that doesn't seem as spiritual as what he was telling me he's doing there. But, but sometimes we just do that. And I know for me, I can... A lot of times people think pastors are busy all the time. And, and they go, yeah, you know, I know you're busy. And then I kind of, sometimes I just walk into that and go, yeah, I am kind of busy. I don't have to talk about what's going on. Just, let's just say I'm busy, you know. Um, and, and we each have those. But I've found that God wants me to start engaging with where that's going on. And places, it allows me to not be real and share what's really going on. And, and I think God wants us to all kind of... See if we have those fig leaves and exchange them for Christ's righteousness so that we can have real relationship and we can really go, oh, that's what's going on. That sounds hard or that sounds really cool. And we can meet each other where we're really at without putting on appearances. Sometimes fig leaves can be our physical appearance. And I, you know, I don't know how many times I see guys kind of walking around and their fig leaves are, hey, you know, check out my muscles, you know. I like my muscles, you don't have to talk about my life. But what do you think about, you know, uh, I like to joke with guys sometimes, you know, that, that I'm friends with and just go up to them and say, hey, you don't have to flex for me, buddy. I, I love you. I accept you as you are here. And Greg tried to do that to me the other day. Hey, Rich, you don't have to flex. And Greg, I'm not flexing. This is how I'm built, man. A, uh, no, I'm just joking. That didn't happen. But anyways, you get, you get the idea. Sometimes we, we just try to look for things to cover up and find our significance in that aren't related to Christ and, and his work for us at all. And for me, a couple of fig leaves I've dealt with are busyness is one. I can always go, ah, oh, busy. But recently I had a time where I was sat down with Greg and another pastor that's a, a leader in our, our region here. And I was just talking about how 
You go through seasons. As a pastor, there's times where you really are like nonstop busy and you're counseling here and you're preparing for a teaching there and you're doing, you know, and I've had seasons where it's just like I I can't even find time to breathe. And other times where I'm not that busy and we were comparing notes about how Greg, you know, this was a couple months ago, how Greg felt like he was in the middle of one of those seasons and I felt like I was in the middle of one of those other seasons where I'm like, we got a real small church down there. We, we don't have an office. We, uh, I am not in one of those busy seasons. And I kind of felt a little inadequate about that because, well, I didn't have many fig leaves to brag about. I was not working hundreds of hours of overtime and not seeing, you know, thousands of people saved and baptized. And I was talking to them. I was like, you know, actually, it's been a number of months since I saw someone come to Christ. And I got to be a part of that. And we talked about how maybe there were some identity things in there that uh, I would find significance in that over what Christ is done for me and what he wants to do in and through me and um, you know there are some lessons there another fig leaf sometimes I can as pastors we'll meet a lot of times we'll talk about life up front in our elders meetings and then we'll get into things related to the church and we can share the prayer requests and sometimes I'll share um, you know hey you just pray for me to grow in patience you know and patience is just a sweet fig leaf that I put on and patience you know that, that kind of carries the idea that I've got plenty of patience. I just need a little bit more. You know, just a little more patience is all I need. And really what it translates to behind the scenes is I'm dealing with some anger issues from time to time and anger related to my kids and anger in my marriage. And I like to call it patience. But, you know, we're honest about it. It's just anger. And I had some some things where, you know, there's been some times that I'm, I'm working through things with the kids. We got some honest dialogue going at one point where I just said, guys, I know I'm not supposed to speak with you like that. I'm seeking their forgiveness. And occasionally I'll go, you know, how do you think it's going? And and Rory will, you know, interact with me. Sometimes I'll have to correct her on something. But she's like, oh, Dad, you did a good job there, you know. And I'm like, all right, good. We're making progress. We had something this morning. It's funny. I'm thinking about this. And um, one of the things I've been trying to help my kids with there is we have a bathroom in our hallway at home and it's not put on right the door is not probably put on right and so you gotta if you don't push hard on the door and then turn the handle it like makes this huge loud sound every time the the handle clicks into place and my our bedroom's right next to it and so the boys bedroom's right next to it so anyone goes in and out of there they're not watching it just wakes up the whole world you know and so I've been trying to you got to push the door and you turn the handle and and I've found some frustration and some need for patience there and some anger showing up that didn't you know and so my daughter comes walking through this morning and she doesn't clicks and the neighbors are awake and all this stuff and you know I've realized well, yeah I gotta be I there's no right to get angry about this that's that's just about me and so we started talking about it and we worked through it and then I had another son wake up and he was gonna do I knew he was gonna do the exact same thing I've been training and teaching him and I finally I was just like just don't even close the door. Just leave it cracked and going. No one's coming. Just go in there. And but you know that we've we've had some fun dealing with some anger things. It's maybe less funny things is how that's been showing up in my marriage. And, and a lot of this has been over the last number of months. And there was a time where I got an accountability partner dealing with things that I was getting angry about that I thought I had the right to something and, and my wife wasn't treating me the right way and I thought I had the right to anger. And um, so I got an accountability partner. And I started anytime I. I was angry and spoke in anger or unkind words. I call my accountability partner, and it's not fun. My accountability partner happened to be another pastor in another church, happened to be my wife's dad. And so, uh, you know, anytime this is happening, I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, I blew it again. And we'll talk through, but you know, he's just a real mature disciple, and, and he would walk me through, you know, you, you blew it, and 
seems like you've repented and you know you don't have the right to that and we would just pray and then he just would minister the gospel and grace to me and you know I got to the place where I started going I kind of don't want to call him anymore you know and there's really when when you're in a good honest accountability situation you really got two options if you don't want to call a person anymore one is that you don't and you just kind of walk in the dark and you kind of tell me yeah I'm doing good still need some patience um you know or or the other side of it is you you stop doing the thing that you said you'd call them about and you don't have to call them anymore and God's been helping me not have to call my father-in-law anymore it's been good and uh and our it's been good for my marriage and it's been good for these but you know that's a uh, sometimes I just like to give a prayer yeah I can use a little more patience but that's that's not as real as it's been I know there's a time uh, this summer I shared something with Greg a situation that I was in and uh you know it was kind of hard and discouraging for me and I saw him in the office and I said hey I haven't seen you since last last week when we were together here but I just wanted to share with you something that happened and, and Greg just uh he just began to kind of minister the truths of the gospel to me you know like it's good to be forgiven isn't it and it's good that you're a new creation and it's it was just such a blessing to go i can be honest and people will minister to me in that and um but you know the point is we want to have a church that's like that we don't need to um we don't need to put on pretenses or airs or fig leaves that, are, that aren't real because when you're not real no one can actually meet you where you really are and God wants to meet us there. And so we, we have to work at that. And we don't beat ourselves up when we blow it. And, you know, uh, Jesus was beaten for us. And, and he's done everything needed to cover over our sin and our shame. And, and God, our Father, loves us. Jesus died for us. And his Spirit is with us to, to comfort, but, but even to help us to overcome that the next time we face it. And we just want to have an environment like that where we're, we're being real with each other and we're, we're not putting on these pre- pretenses. But I encourage you to, to think where you might be having fig leaves in your lives, where you might be looking for significance or keeping people at a distance. And um, I think God wants us to be walking in the light with each other on that. And so, um, you know, that's, that's one thing. Let's see how we're doing. We time here. Um, you know, I, I just remember the first time I went into a church where uh, I was, I just kind of heard some truths of the gospel and kind of things like God, God loves you. He knows everything you've done. He still loves you. And, and Jesus died for you. He's willing to forgive you. And I, I started hearing some of those things. And I'm just kind of looking around like, I think I believe this. You know, I mean, I know it's in the Bible. He's, the pastor's, pastor's telling me about it right there, but I think I believe it. Then I started realizing that, you know, if this guy believes it and, and these people believe it, that means I can share my life, my secrets with them. And I remember a teaching on secrets once where I'm hearing all these truths and I'm knowing the dangers of keeping things in the dark and some of the benefits and blessings of getting things in the light and getting freedom from them. And I just remember after a message one time, I sat down with a guy and I just started sharing with him some of my past story and just sharing some challenges. Some of you know my story, some of you don't, but there are some real challenges that I went to and I felt felt shame and um i just started telling with them i'll give you the cliff notes there but you know there, were, there was a time where my senior year of high school i'm the summer after my senior year i've graduated i got valedictorian but um i got a letter my family my parents got a letter from the parents of my prom date and they said hey you know we our daughter's pregnant here and we think your son might be responsible and uh you know, and then it just kind of just rocked us. And there was some, some questions about, you know, their prom was earlier, or their, their school got out earlier. There was 
potentially another guy that could have been a part of the situation. We, we just said, hey, we want to take responsibility. Let's get some, some tests, some DNA tests to know for sure. And, and they didn't want to do testing. And we're kind of like, well, why not? You know, and, and the whole thing fell apart. And that's how I entered my freshman year of college. And I began drinking. And I began, began trying to cover up my, my pain and my hurt, my embarrassments. And you know that went on for a while. But I, I just shared all this with this guy. And I had become a Christian at, at that church. And I shared this with him. And I just remember Torgan just looking at me with the eyes of compassion and just going, wow, you know, uh, I, I, I'm so glad you shared that. It was so courageous of you to just share that with me. And it, isn't it good to know you're forgiven? And, and he just encouraged me. And he said, you know, by the way, I probably need to talk to one of our pastors about it. And I sat down with one of the pastors and, and we just came up with a game plan to, you know, um, it's good that you're forgiven and you're a new creation, but you probably need to go back and address that and find out for sure. And I remember writing a letter to the last known address I had. I heard there'd been an adoption and a, a baby girl was born. And uh, I, I wrote this letter just kind of saying, hey, uh, I know that I did some things wrong there. And I, I wasn't relating to your daughter the way God would have me to, to honor her. And, um, and, and I just said, I want to find out for sure what I'm responsible for. I want to seek your forgiveness for treating you that way who entrusted your daughter to go to prom with me. And uh, I just remember writing this letter and just putting it all out there and gave all my phone number, my address, my everything and, and never heard anything uh, again for, for about 13 years. And then I received a letter back. This young woman, this 21-year-old girl sent an email that said, you know, I'm looking for my dad and I think, you know, think it could be you and and I just remember dialoguing with her and we we took a DNA test and sure enough it was it was my daughter but you know the reason I share that whole thing was just that I was when I first became a Christian I showed up in a church I was just wondering can I be real here can I share my secrets here is it a safe place and and I found out that it was and the people shared the you know encouraged me with the gospel and they helped me make amends for things that I needed to and uh, I just want to make sure that we're a place like that that we're not a church that you know puts on airs and oh I got my act together following God means you you got your life together that that when we don't that we're honest about it and that we have people that are comforting and encouraging each other and that's that's what we we want to be a church like that where um you know our our uh, covering is what Christ has done for us, his righteousness and, and not our own and, and his grace and, and passing that on to people. And that's really, you know, I think God's been teaching me that. But I encourage you to search your heart and see how you're doing it, having things in the light and um, having fig leaves or verses just really coming under the covering of Christ and what, he, what he's done for you. And so uh, anyways, that's, that's one of the lessons here. Um, you know, another one I'm just going to talk about is and there's one of the verses related to that, but um, let's see here. The other one kind of relates, and, and then we're going to go from this into breaking bread. But, you know, really I love that part where after the fall that God is approaching Adam and Eve, and he's just saying, Adam, Adam, where, where are you? You know, and God's all-knowing, he's omniscient, he's all-present. He knew right where Adam was, but I think he was asking Adam, Adam, where are you at? And so that Adam could know where he was at. And he had been in hiding. And God knew where he was. But I don't think Adam had the perspective of where he was at. Maybe some deception of what had happened because of sin. And I think sometimes you and I can fall into that. When we're not being honest, we can be deceived about really where we really are at in our spiritual lives. And, and, um, and so, you know, we're just going to talk to that point here for a second. To kind of to set the framework for that question of where are you. Um, 
You know, we've been talking a lot this summer about our, our mission and the book of Acts and how these guys carried it out. And really, as a church, we, um, we're all about um, trying to, to get the gospel out to everyone, everywhere, and trying to make disciples. And, um, you know, we have our, our mission statement, reaching the, world, reaching the world with Jesus, starting here. And it's, you know, really about reaching the world with the good news about Jesus and reaching the world with actually the spirit of Jesus coming with us. I've been adding on here recently as I paraphrase, reaching the world with Jesus through multiplying disciples. We're to get the good news out and we're to do it by multiplying these followers of Jesus that share the good news and they're, they're living by the truths and the encouragement of the good news and they're passing it on to others. And really that's what we're all about, being disciples of Jesus, being and making disciples of Jesus together. And so, um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about God's will for our fall here as pastors. You know, what are the plans he has for us? What are some themes? Greg and I spent some time meeting together, and then we're going to work together with, you know, uh, our local situations, the Highlands and, and down south. And um, But I just wanted to share with you some things to frame the question about where are you at. Got the whiteboard here. Uh, we'll do a, just a draw, you know, I think a, a picture that I've been using to kind of frame some things related to discipleship. Let's get this out of the way here. But, and maybe you've seen this before, maybe you've heard this before. One of the, the paradigms we use for this idea of being a, a disciple of Jesus, the journey of being a disciple of Jesus, we've done this um, kind of this baseball diamond thing. Some of you might have seen this before, some of you might not, some of you might like baseball. Most of us do not. No, just joking, Dave. We, we all like baseball. It's America's sport, I think. Um, but, you know, so, so at the basis here, you know, it's kind of the 101 base is, this is in the journey of, you know, uh, being a disciple of Jesus. But this is kind of where the journey begins here. And in, in the 101 phase of it is where you, you come, become a believer. Uh, you know, you might call it begin in Christ. Um, you become a believer in Jesus. And then... You know, you get from maybe not being a believer, not being church, being lost, whatever it is. But then we, we begin a journey with Jesus. We become a believer as, in Jesus as our Savior. You might even somewhere between 101 and 201, you get baptized. And you kind of go public about this idea of being, um, being a disciple of Jesus. 201 would include things like... Um, we have booklets that we're going to be talking about here over this fall and looking at. But, you know, it's often called grow in Christ. And you grow in the habits of being a disciple of Jesus. And this would include things like uh, reading the word on your own and obeying it. And you can't read it without being pointed to prayer. And you begin praying and having this relationship with God and serving others and spending time together in fellowship and habits of giving. You know, you, you read the New Testament, you go, these guys were devoted to to, to giving financially to, to help others, but also even to help um, a church be able to exist. And so there's, there's kind of the 201 phase, and then you've got the, the 301 over here. And that uh, is often the idea of maturing in, in Christ as a disciple here. And, and so you've got this begin as a, a believer of Jesus, or a believer in Jesus as your Savior, and then Grow as a disciple of Jesus, following him as your Lord. And then this one has to do with becoming a disciple maker with Jesus. That you, you take on his journey. And you go, that's my journey. And you begin to pray, Lord, give me one. Give me one I can help, you know, on this journey as well. And after you kind of go around the bases here uh, in your journey, um, you, you then... You then get up to bat 
for someone else. And you go, you know what? Someone helped me hear the good news about the gospel. Someone baptized me. I want to help somebody else like that. And I want to help them grow as a disciple. And I want to help them mature so that they can become a disciple maker. And, and really, that's kind of a picture that expresses what we want to do as a church. And yet, as we've talked about this as pastors, you know, I think it's easy to assume that when we talk and all of us are, we're, we're all right here. We're all mature disciples. And of course, we're looking to get up to bat for someone else and they walk through these doors and we just all want to, you know, lay down our lives for them and love them and serve them and share God's truth with them because it's so easy to do. And, um, but, but the reality is we're, we're not, we're not all right there. And what do we do about that? You know, we, uh, I got away with uh, Drew Mahali here this last, we were just talking about how this relates to the, the South side uh, the Firehouse South location. And, um, you know, where, where are we at? And we, we thought, you know, just some questions we were chewing on is how many, um, you know, how many people in Denver, the Denver metro area, three million plus, how many people in Denver have someone that they can share their, their hurts with and their shame and their sin and their needs with? How many have someone they can share that with who will speak God's truth to them and, and model God's grace, the grace of Jesus Christ? And how many people in Denver have someone like that? You know, I don't know, but... My guess is it's maybe not, not a lot, not as many as should be. And then maybe another question would be, how many people in Denver need someone? Someone who loves them, someone who will, they feel safe in sharing their world, their hurts, their, their shame, their pain. Um, will even share God's perspective on things. You know, how many people in Denver need someone like that? And I would say if there's three million in Denver, there's, I don't know, maybe three million who need someone like that. We all need someone like that. Um, but then the last question that maybe brings it a little closer to home when we're thinking about our church and the highlands and down south. How many of us are those people? How many of us are the people that someone feels like they could trust? They could share their hurts. They would look to us in a hard time and we would share the, the grace of Jesus with them and, and the gospel message with them. How many of us are those people? Now, we'd like to probably say, oh, we all are. I'm a disciple. I stood up and prayed to, you know, to use me, God. But, you know, the reality is we're not all there. And, and yet that's what this perishing world needs. But we're, we're not all there. So what do we do? You know, as pastors, we're like, come on, guys. We all got to be here. Why are you not here? You know, um, and, and what I think God is showing me, maybe showing Greg as well, that you know, the reality is we're, we're all at different places in our journey and, and yet God wants to help each one of us go from wherever we are to the next step of faith and obedience and love. And that might be, well, you're a believer. Well, now it's time to go public and get baptized. Or maybe you've been baptized and now it's time to start reading your Bible for yourself and, and hearing from God and obeying it. Or maybe it's time you've read it for a while and you can't read it without realizing Jesus said for you to go. And take this good news to someone else and go. And now it's your turn to baptize somebody. Because, well, that's what Jesus said his disciples would do. And, and I think God wants to, to help us as a church figure out where we're at. And then take those next steps, you know. And um, I just, you know, would encourage you to answer that. Where are you at? I mean, I, I think we all want to say we're here, right? But, you know, even as pastors, there's seasons where I go, well, am I really there? Am I really have a heart to, to go up to bat for someone else who's probably got a messy life just like I had and someone who might 
not want to hear what I had to say and someone who I'm going to have to carve out my own time and go into their world and do something I might not even like to do. You know, they might not even like basketball or something like that. And, um, but I, I think God wants us to be here, but, but we're not. But we need to start with, where are you? Where are you at? And maybe in hiding behind fig leaves, the reality is you're, you're not where you thought you are. Maybe, maybe you've been there, done that, know this. But you know, one of the uh, verses that we often look at in the journey of becoming a disciple of Jesus is, uh, there's one in John 8, 31, where Jesus, um, he put it like this. He said, um, John 8, 31, right here. Jesus was saying to those who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue in my word, you're truly disciples of mine. Sometimes we begin reading the Bible or praying or having good habits of fellowship or serving or tithing. We begin, but, but a lot of times those can fall off after responsibilities get... Uh, more in our lives. Life gets harder and we can kind of go, well, I, I'm older. I've been a Christian now for 20 years. Of course I'm over here. But you know, if we're not obeying those things, we really aren't over here. And if we've done them in the past, well, are we continuing in them now? Because these require that, that we have those. You know, these are the habits of, of a growing disciple. And to be a mature disciple, you have to be one who's Lord, give me one that I can reach, that I can share the gospel with. Lord, uh, you know, you have to have things like knowing how to walk, uh, yielded to the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Those are things that must happen to be a mature disciple. And, and so it'd just be good for each one of us to know where are we at. You know, and one of the things we're going to do down south, and I know Greg's working on some implementations for up here, we're going to take everybody through 101 and 201 and 301. And, you know, some people are here. We, uh, Drew and I tried to lay out, well, where are the people in our church? You know, we've got some people that maybe still need to get baptized. We've got a couple there. And we've got, well, some people are here and they're, you know, some are committed to attend and some tithe and some don't tithe. And we've got some people here that it's kind of a mix. And, well, how many do we have here? And, um, you know, the number of people that we felt like were really here was maybe a smaller number than, than I had thought before and than I had hoped before. And, and I could focus on that and be like, oh, that's terrible. But, you know, I think God goes, I just want to move everyone along in their journey one step at a time. And I just encourage you to think about what that step might be for you and what might be a barrier to taking that next step. You know, Jesus said um, at one point when it was talking about the seed is sown and it has different results. But one of them, it says there's things that prevent a disciple from maturing. And he has a list here in Luke chapter 8. But he says things like um, uh, they go on their way and they are choked. Uh, there's thorns that come and they, and they choke this disciple out with worries and riches and the pleasures of this life. And they bring no fruit to, to maturity. You have to have a maturity in Christ to be able to Get up to bat for someone else to think about them more than yourself. You know, another place Jesus said, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, I think one of the greatest barriers we have to be in disciple makers who are laying down our lives for other, one of the greatest barriers we have is, is ourself, our flesh. And our flesh doesn't want to do that. And that's why Jesus, I think, said, hey, you want to follow me? You want to be a fisher of men? How many want to be a fisher of men? And I go, I do. Well, here's, here's how you start. Deny yourself, your selfish tendencies. Take up a cross, 
which means be willing to bear ridicule and insult from this world while you're trying to save people from the consequence of hell and, and, then, and then start following me. And I think we've got to overcome some of these barriers, our, our worries and distractions, anxieties in life, our um, wealth and the deceitfulness of wealth. And another one is, you know, he talks about desires for other things. Sometimes we can say, I don't have too many other things in my life to distract me. But Jesus said, it's the desire for other things that can strangle us and prevent us from maturing. And, and, and so anyways, again, my hope is just that each one of us would be be again examining ourselves and see what what do we need to grow and what is the next step we need to take what is the step we need to get back to so we have a solid foundation for that next phase of being a disciple and and i just encourage you to answer that question that that god asked adam where are you And, and figure out if there's things you've been hiding behind and maybe you're not as far along as you think and sometimes i that sober truth hits me and i maybe i'm not where i think i'm at and um but I just know he wants to help us in that. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the last thing we're going to do here is just, um, we're going to just take some time to uh, kind of bring this all together in, in breaking bread. And um, I love this in Acts. You know, one of the themes from Acts, you can actually see that we could probably use to grow in is this next verse here. But, you know, we've, we've read Acts 2, 42 through 46. You just read it all the time. You can't read Acts without going there. This is at the end of that passage. But I love how it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, every day, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together. Uh, earlier in that passage, it said they were devoted to, to prayer and the fellowship, the apostles' teaching, and, and to breaking of bread. And they're talking about they were devoted to celebrating communion to remembering what Christ had done and um, you know sometimes I ask the question why why did they do that you know why why did they break bread a lot I think when I what I read they did that a lot more than we do why because did they think it was right or did they think that that's what they had to do or disciples we had to break bread you know one of the reasons I, I'm just reflecting on this morning is kind of encouraging I think they did it because it's actually really encouraging to know that God loves you and Jesus died for you and, and the Holy Spirit's with you to help you and as we, we renew our, our minds and that it's actually a real encouraging thing. And I don't know how your week's been and I don't know how your season has been since last time we broke bread, but I don't know that we could err in remembering these truths too often. And I know the, the worship core is going to help us to continue to do this uh, more regularly as well. But this morning, we're just I'd like to just take us take some time to, to break bread together and just read a couple of these passages and, and then we have some uh, the bread and juice in the back here but um, let's see here we have that one my communion verses here you know this is um, I think we have the one from uh, Matthew 26 uh, 26 here we're just going to read this and talk about it and then uh, we're going to take some time to do this but this is uh, as it was recorded by Matthew when the, the Lord's Supper occurred for the first time. But he just said, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. Gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And you know, one of the things I just want to draw out here as we remember the Lord's Supper here is um, just... I love how it says he poured out his blood for many for the forgiveness of sins. A number of places in the Bible it says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And yet 
Not everyone in the whole world has connected with that. Not everyone has come to believe that and connected with his forgiveness. There are many who've connected with forgiveness through Jesus. And really the question I like to have us think about here today is, are you one of the many who've connected with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? And if you are one of the many who's looked to Jesus as your Savior, just take a little time this morning to tell Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for making me a new creature, a new creation. And thank you for having everything I need for a new life. Take time to thank him. If you've never done that before and you think Jesus died for the sins of the world, but you've never personally come to place your trust in that, maybe this morning's a time when you say thank you to Jesus for the first time. And you begin this journey. And, um, and if you're at a place where you go, well, you know, I've heard all this. I'm not sure I buy into it yet. You know, that's okay too, but you just need to know that Jesus offered himself for everyone, for the sins of the world. And um, you may not be ready to receive that, but you need to know he offered it to you. And if you've been in the habit of taking communion and, and that's not where you're at, I just, I know when I was growing up as a kid, everyone took communion. It was the cool thing to do. If you were kids, you got to, you know, you got to have the bread and the wine, you know, and underage drinking wine was awesome, you know. And, uh, but I don't know what your experience is, but Jesus has offered this for everyone, but it's not fitting that everyone should receive it. He goes on to say this actually in, um, in 1 Corinthians um, 11. We often read from there, but one of the things he instructs them to do when they take bread, he says, uh, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy man will be unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord uh, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Um, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. But we're going to take time to give thanks for what Jesus has done. But if you have some sin in your life that uh, is unconfessed or you haven't turned away from it, right now might be the time to get honest about that first with God. But then he also talks about confessing your sins to others. Maybe you can get help and accountability to get out of that. But um, you want to just make sure you, you confess any sin that hasn't been confessed and thank him for, for dying for your sin. And, um, you know, again, if you haven't come to believe that Jesus did this for you, well, then probably would be good to pass on it and not take it in a way that's not, not acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior. And, and though you need to know this morning, it is offered to all of us. And, um, but anyways, we're just going to take time. We're going to have some background music. I'm going to pray and whenever you're ready maybe just take some time to to pray and tell jesus thank you and and when you're ready we have two stations in the back of the room where you can get a piece um, of the bread and uh, you can dip it in the in the wine there or the juice there and just tell jesus thank you and celebrate the the good news of the gospel this morning i'll just pray real quick well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you again for this morning, a chance to, to come together and worship you, a chance to be reminded of, of things that are true, things that you have done for us. I thank you that we don't have to cover ourselves and make our own fig leaves, which, which don't actually work, which lead to us hiding anyways, which lead to us feeling inadequate and, and, and don't lead to our righteousness. Jesus, we thank you that you, um, uh, like it says in 1 Corinthians 5.21, that you took our sin and you gave us your righteousness in in christ we we have righteousness we have your righteousness and you took our beating and our wrath 
And we just thank you for that here this morning. And we just want to remember you. Help us to encourage one another in the gospel truths more. Help us not to be in the dark and and put our own fig leaves on, but to walk in the covering of the blood of Christ. And and that people would know that this is a safe place for them to bring their their sin and their hurt and their shame and, and, and know that you have grace for them too. But we, we just remember you here this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen.